Hello, everyone. This is the Daydream Rules podcast, and I'm Yaro. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. I'm really happy that I can bring you this beautiful conversation with Adrian Solon. I really hope that it offers you some comfort and some joy and just something soft to listen to as you go about your day. We talked about reclaiming a connection to our ancestors, about small daily rituals, staying present with grief, and finding comfort in these times of uncertainty. And we also spoke about what animism means to Adrian, which I always think is so beautiful and interesting to hear about from different people. So before I go on to the show, I just want to say that I'm still on my Instagram break because I'm finalizing my book. It's going really well. I'm extremely excited about it. It's called Rituals, Simple and Radical Practices for Times of Crisis. And it's going to be a small, hopefully pretty inclusive and accessible book of stories and practices that you can kind of try and make your own. So I hope that it will provide like a framework for you to explore your own ritual practice. And I'm hoping to publish this at the very beginning of July for Patreons first. So you can become a patron at any level. You'll receive a digital copy as well as access to all my programs and recordings um, and my other zines. So yeah, there's a lot that you can get as a patron. And I really, really appreciate the support because it makes the show possible. It means I have a little bit more stable income and I get more space and time to create things for you, which is such a joy. I also want to say that I fully support the protest against police violence. I'm horrified that another black man has died. And I think it is important that I speak about that. I really want to express my support and solidarity for this movement. Um, I was considering coming back on Instagram to share about this, but if I'm really honest, in a way that would have felt maybe performative to me, um, and I just need a little bit of a break from social media at the moment, but I just want to say that that doesn't mean that I'm not thinking about this, that doesn't mean that I'm not heartbroken. I am angry and sad, and I'm really committed to understanding and dismantling my own yeah, but the, the ways that I um, really benefit from white supremacy as a white person. And yeah, um, just to say that this is happening, I am in full support of this movement and I really hope that this year is a moment of change, of long-lasting change, and that we are going to get away from these cycles of responding to crisis or to death or grief in the moment and then let things back down, back, die back down again. I think that we as white people really are required, you know, it's time, it really is time, it's been way too long and I just don't want this conversation to die back down again. I think we have to continue this and I think it's the work of our lifetimes and not something that can just kind of come and go and ebb and flow. So yeah, just wanted to say that as well. And I just want to also send lots of love your way. Whatever you do, please keep doing it. Please keep safe. Um, please show up for this in the best way that you can. Let me know how I can support you. And yeah, thank you so much for supporting this podcast and listening. 
Hey everyone, as you know, I always love um, starting my interviews on a giggle <laughs> and I definitely did with this one. So funny, I, we were just, um, you know, saying hello to each other and then it, my doorbell rang and then I needed to move the puppy over. But I feel like the best interviews begin with a little bit of chaos magic. <laughs> and I'm super excited to speak to Adrian Sloan today. We've been working together um, for which was such a blessing honestly and I will say more about that um as we kind of speak and share experiences but I'm just so happy to know Adrienne and I have some really exciting questions to ask and it's also the, the first interview that I'll be doing in a slightly different format with some new introduction questions so Adrian, thank you so much for the work that you do and for being here I'm really really happy and excited to speak to you um yeah like just there's a real sense of joy even in these times mm. recording on the Taurus no moon. So yeah, thank you so much. <clears throat> Thanks. I'm so happy to be here and be in conversation with you. Yay. <laughs> so I would love to start by asking you what kind of rituals give you comfort at the moment? Oh. I love that question. Yeah. In the moment, the rituals <clears throat> currently that, bring me comfort are the ones that are the most easeful. Like um, I feel like in the recent weeks and maybe months now, finding ways to incorporate my daily connecting in with the ancestors always brings me, um, that's part of my ritual and it continues to shift and look different based on kind of my energy level and where I'm at. So there's a, wide range of invitation to like when I'm cooking, when I'm just doing some daily tasks and right now planting seeds in the garden and watering the garden, being with the land and just bringing a lot of intention and um, calling them in to be present with me and listening. So it's, yeah, a lot of daily task ritual. Mm, me too. That's that's making sense. That's beautiful. My next question could be really big, so really feel free to take this any way you like. I'm open to all kinds of answers, but I'm wondering what you're grieving at the moment. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> so many things right now. And also I feel like those that grief, that presence of grief is seems part of that first question of ritual of, of acknowledging first that there is just most of what I'm sensing and listening in with the land with the ancestors and the collective right now is just this complexity of grief so it feels <clears throat> challenging to tease it apart like what um, what actually I'm grieving but I think some of it, like it's interesting just in what came up for me right now is that there's also this bit of joy in that grief of as much heaviness and um, anger and sadness I have about what's happening in the world right now. There's this thread of joy that I feel is connected with the grief of knowing that this world could be different we could live in different ways, be received differently, and um, how we bring our gifts forward and just 
how we relate with the land and the ancestors. So there feels in that grieving that there's some possibility of like hope and joy wrapped into like this unknown space. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that just came through. Mm -hmm. No, that totally makes sense. And I think it's a beautiful way of describing how joy and grief are so close sometimes. I feel that too. And it feels hard to describe or really put into words sometimes because I think there's also this spiritual bypassing and this like forced positivity that I can't hold right now and find really irritating. But actually it is true that there's also moments of joy and seeing really, yeah, change that we haven't thought was possible um, and hoping that, we are at least so together in this experience of grief in a way that we haven't been before, or that maybe we have only been in little pockets of communities before. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this, that so many of us, whether we acknowledge it or not have been grieving for maybe mm -hmm. most of our life mm -hmm. in these ways. So I think that's why that piece came through was that more and more that we acknowledge our grief for how long we've actually been grieving or putting name a name to certain types of grief mm -hmm. but yeah it's mm -hmm. complex and ongoing mm -hmm. yeah and then the the fuzziness of anticipatory grief as well right like mm -hmm. then knowing that there's so much yet to come that we can't really see or understand yet but we already have a sense that it could be really difficult yeah. I also said, like, I think anticipatory overwhelm should also be a thing because there will also be this transition back into a life without social distancing, for example. And I know this is like a main, minor problem right now. And I don't want to whinge about it, but I'm also like, oh, I'm just adjusting to this way of being. And then there will be this other way of being. And then who knows how many ways of being I'm going to live through in this lifetime. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, thank you. I would love to hear a little bit more about the work that you do now that we've opened with these really big questions. <laughs> I would love to ground a little bit and hear more about how you describe your work. I really love your website and I super recommend people check it out as a soothing experience. Even if, if nothing else, it's so lovely to look at. It's just like, mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you know, this question without going on a ramble, but I've been having a difficult time in the last few weeks of just <clears throat> pinpointing like, you know, these identities of like, like, what do I do? Like, how do I describe what I'm doing? Cause it continues to shift, but how I'm framing it currently is that I'm supporting mostly folks who are visionary, creatives, activists, um, to really cultivate a deep connection with their ancestors and with the other than humans and really to spend a lot more time becoming comfortable in the imaginal realm. So in these spaces of experiencing nonlinear time and also in that trusting in the process and what they're receiving. And I do as much as I can to encourage folks to let it be really awkward and to remind them that it's a reclaiming of a way of being in relationship and that it takes time. It takes practice and uh, devotion to that journey. 
and yeah, it doesn't have to look any one way. And that's something I'm really big on right now too, is just supporting the people that I get to be in connection with in this way, that they're not going to mess it up. They're not going to mess up their relationship and that there's no one right way to develop these relationships. And so there's some parameters and structure, but it's, it's not a lot of difference between how we relate with other humans. And yeah, I feel like this is a really, for the times we're in and beyond, to kind of decentralize like human relationships as the like most important, valuable relationships in our life. And so it can be messy and, but really fun and sweet too. Yeah. Yes, I love that. I was doing jazz hands and nodding excitingly, as you said, to decenter our human relationships, which I think isn't even a choice right now, right? (laughs) In some ways, it's just (laughs) happening and we're forced to look at what that could look like and how it could be really beautiful and really good and how we can create intimacy and connection with the non-human world. Yeah. And I also, as someone who has worked with you, feel like want to say, it can be awkward, but also it can be so fun. I didn't feel awkward yeah. at all. I thought, <laughs> and it, I felt it was very immediate and very beautiful and very exploratory and fun. And yeah, didn't feel awkward at all and just felt really beautiful. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. It just, you know, there's no end to what it can look like and feel like. And, you know, coming back to that. Um, question on grief. I feel like that's always present at times too in ancestor work. Like there's these moments of deep joy and connection and then waves of grief that come through of, of missing having um, our more animist ways intact for a lot of us and connection with elders. And um, yeah, I think this is a perfect time for mm-hmm. quarantine times that we're in to begin cultivating a practice because like you said yeah we can't hang out with each other in person and it was interesting in the beginning of all this when there was that big rush of everyone offering all the things on zoom and it was both really sweet to see like what creative um, offerings people were gathering to uh, share with each other but I was also like wait, this is also a huge invitation for us to, you know, connect in with the ancestors, with the land where we're we're at, with spirit, however you want to name these other beings. Um, So I thought that was interesting, both really sweet and like, Mm -hmm. like, okay, we're so, we're so um, conditioned to, yeah, find ways to still stay in connection just with Mm -hmm. human to human. Is both great and also mm-hmm. I'm more mm-hmm. prone to the ancestor like other than human realm <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it, it was definitely overwhelming I know exactly what you meant Ween. I also was super touched and overjoyed to see the creativity not just in the offerings themselves but also the ways that we shared them and and still do and I still have intention just to participate sometimes but also really finding that yeah, there could be beauty in not trying to fill the void immediately and just mm. being with the discomfort and the aloneness. Like I'm living alone and I have um, have lived alone 
how long is it? I don't know. I've totally <laughs> lost track, track of time now. I just looked at the calendar. I don't know. I think probably seven weeks now because anyway, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. But yeah, you're totally right. Um, and I'm interested to see where that's heading overall. And yeah, I wonder, maybe could you describe for us what, what you understand animism to be for those who don't know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, animism I define as a range of just being in connection with the other than human realm so that there's animate life, like the stones, the water, the ancestors are included in that, that there's just a wider web of beings that have just as much input and available connection for us than humans so it's you know it's the waters it's elements it's place and yeah just having i see animism as is really like a foundation way of being in relationship of um again it's a helpful way of being in connection that's not ascribed to any particular like religion or spiritual like path like that has like structure or dogma to it it's just kind of how i see my relationship um yeah with the other than humans it's i like it because it doesn't have like it's this or not this it just feels like it's really expansive mm -hmm. in that i don't think i did that justice but <laughs> it's hard to explain i feel like no um, yeah but really yeah it's just yeah like just being with all the beings like the weather mm -hmm. is a being um and just how do we honor those relationships connect cultivate that be in reciprocity with all these beings on a daily basis mm -hmm. yes i think that's such a beautiful starting point for people to explore what it means to them yeah um, <clears throat> I wonder what it was like to study embodied ecology. I looked at your website about page and I was like, "Ooh! first of all, can I understand? I don't really understand what a liberal arts college is. Does it mean it's something you do after high school and it's liberal because, I mean, is it politically liberal? <laughs> 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 or is it liberal in that you can liberally study all the different art subjects? Oh, I love that. Yeah, I've never really <laughs> thought about that. Um, well, you know, it's interesting that, yeah, so this was my undergrad post high school with some space in between. I wasn't a traditional um, student necessarily, but yeah, the particular, and some folks in the U.S. may know this college, it's the Evergreen State College, and it was formed in the 60s, so it was like in that time, it's very non-traditional in that there's no grades there's not really like majors per se. So like what I put on there as far as like trying to describe like what did I study <laughs> do? Like you didn't have to claim any kind of major. Um, You're evaluated by your faculty and you also self-evaluated like your, your work. And it was very interdisciplinary in that we didn't choose individual classes. So we chose... Yeah, like I did like dance, music, theater for a year um, and it had a particular name and it had multiple teachers that came together to like form that. So it was very, 
you know, there was organic farming. There was just, <laughs> it was kind of a big hippie school. But so, yeah, I think that's the only way they could really describe it. Again, we didn't have, um, yeah, it was mostly just a liberal arts, I guess. Yeah, just studying interdisciplinary. So when I tried to reflect, I'm like, what did I actually do? <laughs> um, yeah, that's where I, I started to study Buto, which I feel like was such a, that's a modern Japanese dance form that came about post-World War II. And actually, it was one of the first experiences for me of just being really embodied and not having it like, I wonder if I can back up <laughs> like, yeah. as I'm explaining this. Um, so before I went to, to that school and that program, my grandmother passed away and it was the first person that I was close to that died. And at the time that she was still in the hospital, I had a friend visiting from Australia and it was somebody when I was younger, we had traveled and met this person and many others. And, and I was really just in deep grief about my grandmother and, but also knowing that this person is probably somebody that I wouldn't see again. It was just random. They happened to be close to me and they're from Australia. And so I took them out to this land that was really important to me with these big trees. This was in Washington state in the Northwest and in November. And so I was really present with you know, what I was feeling with my grandmother, but there was this moment that the wind picked up and there were these big leaf maple trees where the leaves are about the size of your face. And because it was fall and the wind was happening, they just started raining down all around us. And I had this experience that I was this little girl and she was with me as a little girl. And it was just like, we were crying and just laughing and chasing the leaves. And in that moment, I knew that she was like transitioning and leaving her body. And also I had this really profound knowing that like she disappeared into the land, into what we consider nature. And it was almost like a portal for, like she opened that, like her death created some way for us to always be in connection. And it was to be with the trees and the land. And, um, but in that, I can't remember now, cause this is about 20 ish years ago, but there was this big impulse to dance. <laughs> I had this like, it was almost like a voice. It was like, you're supposed to dance. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I had no real understanding of like, I didn't have a background in dance. I was never like put into dance classes as a child. So I was, you know, in my early twenties and I was like, kind of sent me on a mission, which coming back to like evergreen and my liberal arts experience was what I attempted to explore there. And so that dance form of Buto was really when I found that, cause I went to ballet, I went to all these like known types of dance first to be like, what do people do? Like, what is, you know, I didn't really have an understanding of what I was supposed to do. But when I found that form of movement and being embodied, it has so much to do looking back with um, animism and ritual and being in cultivation or cultivating 
relationship with uh, other than humans. So it was a long story to get to that point, but I feel like it all kind of mm-hmm. yeah, connects in that way. Oh my gosh, that was so beautiful. I got a bit teary here and I can totally see the dancing and the leaves and how that all fits together. And I'm so glad that you had this beautiful educational experience because I think, yeah, it sounds like a lot of freedom and like something that was happening just at the right time. I was an older student too, and I also didn't choose a major. Um, I didn't go to quite as hippie a school, unfortunately, <laughs> um, but I did my first degree at the distance university where you could each term kind of choose something else. And I loved doing that so much. I did a lot of creative writing and social science and psychology and child development and all these different things. And it was so fun. I really think that more people would really love doing that and it should be more of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. For, mm-hmm. I think for even folks that might not be aware of that, that is possible. But those mm-hmm. types of ways of learning really spoke to me because I, I was a pretty wild teenager and I didn't, I barely graduated high school and mm-hmm. um, I was the first person in my family to go to college. So I didn't have a lot of like adult direction on what I was doing or what my options were. And when I found that school, I was like, okay, I think I could first get in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, I think they will accept me. I hadn't taken, you know, the traditional testing that you many high school students do here um, to get into college. And it was a state school, which was really Um, It still is a state school, but the tuition was really affordable as well. So yeah, I was like, maybe, (laughs) maybe this will work for me, but it's, yeah, it's important to find what works, I think for us educational, Mm -hmm. you know, on that path, Mm -hmm. um, how we learn and engage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. same to everything I am also the first child in my family and also didn't have a lot of guidance and kind of figured it out as I went along yeah. <clears throat> do you want to tell us a little bit more how you then became a therapist and how that's tying into the work that you're doing now and who? <laughs> yeah yeah wow I was such a reluctant therapist to be <laughs> to go down I mean I still am I have a hard time um with western psychology But actually it was at that school because as I was doing that form of dance, Bhutto, I also discovered dance and movement as a like therapeutic modality. And so I explored that a bit because I was really into nonverbal forms of healing. And um, so talk therapy was never like something I was really drawn to. And so it was about 10 years after that, um, I worked uh, in the service industry for years just because I couldn't commit to any like real job. Um, And I was bartending. And I, at some point, I think part of it was like ego based and that I was like in my thirties and I was like, maybe I should go back to school or what am I doing? Am I going to be a bartender for this? Which is, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think it was just, I was, um, yeah, just going through that. Like, what am I doing? And I wanted to engage too in something that had more um, creative, yeah, creative space. And just like, I felt like I was here to do more than just, you know, serve drinks (laughs) to people. Um, And so... 
Yeah. So I actually, I, I had another, just like the dance, like calling the other calling I had was to be with horses. And it was another one that just came out of like, I was like, what? Like, I didn't know. <laughs> it was just these threads that I kept following. And so I didn't know much about horses either. I had ridden horses as a child. Um, when I went to visit my cousins who lived in the country and, you know, they'd always put me on the like slow, older horse and I would fall off. Um, so I didn't have really like a path of like what that meant. And so I started exploring and because I was bartending, I had flexibility and schedule and I started just finding different people to give me lessons on writing. And there was still something missing. I was like, this isn't quite it. It's like, not about writing. And I actually was volunteering at a horse rescue and I was injured. Um, I tore a ligament in my knee, just this really, it's one of those moments where you're like, I shouldn't do this. And then I let somebody else that didn't kind of see what happened, um, encourage me to do this thing that I ended up getting hurt with. So it was a big lesson in trusting your own, uh, knowing of what to do. But so I was laid up for a few weeks and I couldn't walk. So I had a lot of time to stay in bed and do some research. And I found this whole world of equine facilitated learning and mental health and partnering with horses um, as a therapeutic way of deepening relationship and healing. And it blew me away. I was like, oh, okay. Like, so I started looking and I found a, uh, another kind of school that fit my style of learning. And they had, it was a graduate program in counseling psychology, but there was an option to do equine therapy. And I was like, okay, I can maybe be a therapist if I could be outside and also be with the horses. So I, I followed that pathway. That is so beautiful. I really, really loved hearing that. And I feel that your connection to animals and the landscape really comes through your online work as well. So I don't feel like there's, there's been a big split. Um, it still feels so integrated in everything that you do. So would you let me be like to tell us a little bit more about how you're staying connected um, at this time or in general, like what are practices that you like doing when you are missing the landscape or wanting something really specific that you need support around or how do you like to give back like what how what makes it reciprocal for you mm, yeah yeah I think that's a question hopefully we're always checking in with for ourselves of, of that reciprocity um and you know currently too just with the heaviness that's happening for so many of us especially those of us that feel like or identify more as highly sensitive. Um, it feels difficult for me to stay connected as we talked about in the beginning to some of the rituals or some of the ways that I was tending as much. And so I'm trying to take that pressure off myself and make it really um, find the most simple, most easeful thing that I can be um, present with. And right now in the place that I live, I have access to this beautiful garden. That's the second year of having this garden. And so right now, like last year, uh, my partner and I put the garden in and the land had 
had a garden there like 40 years prior. So it had known that. And also this is indigenous land that I live currently between two uh, Tewa Pueblos. And so it's interesting, I don't know if this is answering the question, but there's complexity here also in that I live on a seasonal river in that valley and across from the river, which is also tribal land, is, uh, they call them barrancas, but they're these sandstone, stands, sorry, sandstones kind of sculptured, um, I guess rocks, just different layers of geology, but you can find fossils from, you know, 10, 15 million years ago. So, and then in the garden, as I'm, um, you know, planting mostly last year, but even this year, um, pottery will arise from digging in the land and just, so it's just, it's interesting and um, just being aware of the stories that are held within the land and time. And, you know, part of my reciprocity is, is just bringing so much acknowledgement to the complexities of both humans that have been on this land and giving respect to the ancestors of place and to those older deep time beings um, that were here before humans. So and that comes really present to me almost every time I'm outside. So I feel like, and I think for, you know, most of the people that I work with too, I'm always trying to encourage like, like having, having that as a starting place too, of just being in really deep awareness, deep um, intention with the places that we call home or that we wander in our lives. And um, they also have this beautiful tree that I call the prayer tree. And so, you know, putting offerings on that tree as well for just the spirits of the land and which can include, you know, water, flowers, foods, um, notes, handwritten notes. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure if I answered the question. <laughs> no, you did. No, I, yeah, absolutely. I think there were some really beautiful pictures and practices. And I also just, again, want to say how beautiful the pictures are you take on in, in the landscape that you're in. I think there's a very particular, um, color palette that I don't see around here very much and it's always really interesting and I really want to lean into the beauty of being able to connect online and being able to show each other the things that we can see in our own little world right now you know that feels really special and I I want to you know of course grieve in some way that I probably won't be traveling again the way we have in the past anymore but also yeah, the joy of like having all these other ways of learning about each other's worlds is so, so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thinking about that too with the grief of, you know, so much intention of wanting to see and be on different lands, especially ancestral lands for me too, mm -hmm. of being really intentional on, you know, the lands where you live and Northern Ireland and places that I had hoped to spend more time in mm -hmm. that unknown of like whether or not we'll be able to do that um, in the near future or what that looks like. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I love this land so much and it's not, this is not where I was 
raised and but I feel very um, like it speaks really loudly here mm -hmm. and so I do my best to um, yeah share that in that medium of I love um, capturing those images and being able to share with people at the land um, like how it's speaking through the images mm -hmm. and it does I can hear it even over here yeah. <laughs> is there something else that you would like to say to people that maybe are listening to all of this and they're like oh gosh I really want that too that feels so comforting and beautiful and like something really real to lean into right now like what might be a good starting point for them yeah um so many yeah so many starting points i think yeah for anyone listening that's curious about connecting in with their ancestors um in particular that to just to bring it back to the awkwardness <laughs> that i spoke of earlier of uh, yeah really being um you know that you can't mess up that relationship and it can look like so many different things um and to spend more time in spaces that are off screens even if you don't have access to land right now and you're in this quarantined in home places um no matter where you're at we can shift our consciousness into these other realms and it can be challenging for sure. It's, um, I think a lot of times people dismiss their ability to relate or connect because they either feel they're not intuitive or they feel like nothing's happening. Um, and time operates, I feel differently in those realms. And so one thing that I, I tell people I work with a lot too is that when we're in these spaces and we're asking for messages or asking for you know anything that might be on our heart we don't always get immediate like answers in the moment and if we don't because we're so conditioned to like get things in these immediate ways that we can easily think oh, it's not working or i can't do it or my ancestors don't want to connect with me <laughs> right so it's um to have more tenacity in the way that it becomes a devotional practice and that how I see it is that we're really casting out, we're calling out to them and we have to keep doing that and to let go of the control of like when it comes back to us. And then to make sure one thing that's been really big on my heart in the last um, several months is that for many of us, it can be difficult to receive. So, paying attention to that when it does come back to us and it might come back to us in ways that we didn't expect um that to just be aware and be conscious of like how it might come through like different signs there might be this impulse to grab a certain book and look at a certain chapter that you haven't even thought about in a long time to um, you know even be on the computer and google something things that just start, start coming to us to also see that those might be spirit and the ancestors speaking to us in these ways that we can receive and then to make sure we actually accept it and receive it right and not push it away or not dismiss like oh it's just me thinking of that thing to really see ourselves as a multiplicity of selves and beings and time 
And yeah, and I think we have a, I know everyone's situation's different. Like some folks have maybe less, even if they're quarantined, might have less like solitude or um, alone time right now, if they have children or partners or just what their spaces look like. But yeah, to, to really cultivate a practice of more solitude so that you can actually hear the ancestors and hear the other than humans because we can't when we're busy being distracted by screens or just human chatter. Yes, I love how you describe that. I love the devotion piece so much because I think it kind of lets our busy monkey minds off the hook as well. Like I feel when I'm not in devotion, I need to kind of be more controlling of the process or think it through more, overthink it all the time. And I think devotion is just dropping into my heart and being like, I know what my intention is. I know what I'm here to do. I just keep showing up the best way I can. That's all I have to do. So easy in a way. Yeah. You know, we forget the easiest thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I love what you said about time as well. I think that we're often very attached to linear outcomes or linear processes and a very, you know, very straightforward A to B narrative. And it is, <clears throat> it is very nonlinear and spiral sometimes and that's okay and i also feel yeah the ease that comes in if we don't have to figure out exactly what something means or where it's coming from you know just accepting that there can be so many different truths at the same time and i don't feel so attached to this distinction between imagination and reality for example you know like that just doesn't it doesn't feel useful to me and so I don't want to reject any beauty that comes to me by saying oh let's just imagine because that doesn't really make it any less real and um and also I think I feel there's some liberation in just being humble as a human and saying I can't I there's so much I don't know that I can't ever say this is just imagined I like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm quite happy that I don't know. That's yeah. Really helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that, Yaro. Yeah. I think that's the other piece to it too. It really is just um, being in that space of being playful and curious and not judging yourself. And again, seeing this as for most of us, we're going to be reclaiming these ways of being. So to be really gentle in the process for ourselves mm -hmm. and be open and curious and find our own kind of style of just like in relationships, like how we show up for um, our relationships and yeah, but mostly, yeah. Like hearing yourself say prayers out loud to the ancestors and to the land. Um, it could just be the sweetest, most simple thing. And, you know, as you were speaking about time, one thing I always encourage people to, and they're like, how do I, how do I, weave this into my daily life because mm -hmm. it can feel sometimes like another task. Like, Oh, I got to connect with the ancestors <laughs> or, you know, try to make a big deal or it has to be some huge ritual or ceremony. And it can be if, if, you know, you're, if you want that. Um, but even like taking one minute, like just choosing like for a week, if it's the morning, afternoon, evening of being dedicated to, dropping in and connecting in that way in those shifted spaces of consciousness, like one minute can feel like 
you know, a lifetime. So mm-hmm. to just not feel like you have to, um, yeah, spend hours and hours unless it's just, and then eventually, right. And it becomes so second nature. So you're washing the dishes or you're just, you're feeling them more and more present with you. And, you know, just one thing I'd like to add to that for anyone, especially in these times that we're living is to call in those elevated, well-seated ones in your lineages who also lived through these times of crisis, of unknown, of maybe scarcity of food, or just um, whatever is present for you, there's likely many, many ancestors available to you to just hold that space. Like they don't have to do anything or give you any like specific guidance, though they might, but Mm -hmm. to just ask them to be holding you in your grief and just whatever, wherever you're at with Mm -hmm. yeah with these times so that can be a helpful practice right now too Mm -hmm. yes I love that thank you so much before we go can you share with us what you're currently offering and where people can find you yeah yeah so I offer individual sessions for folks doing ancestral support so that can look like a many different things I feel like it's a blend of counseling and ancestral healing work and really it's the ancestors um as our therapists essentially (laughs) and i'm guiding that process i also have an online group membership and that's a really sweet way for people just it's more affordable and it's you know i'm guiding people a couple times a month in an ancestral connection circle so doing these you know, guided drop-ins and just cultivating relationship, just exploring different things of grief, of embodying our gifts from our lineages and healing, yeah, healing our lineages in those ways. So that's something I'm going to be opening up here for people to register for in May. And then I have so many other things on my heart that I want to do like <laughs> workshops um, so that I'm hoping in May those will all come about but Mm -hmm. people can go to my website join my newsletter and that's where I'll let people know Mm -hmm. we're on Instagrams Mm -hmm. cool (laughs) all of that in the show notes as well so if someone didn't catch that it'll be there to find you Adrian thank you so so much for everything that you shared today it was truly beautiful to speak to you and I'm so excited to share your message and your work and yeah this interview especially at this time thank you so much Thanks, Yaro.